Hey friends, just so you know, we enjoy the swear word and we rely on good old fashioned humor to get through some seriously dark subject matter. At no time do we intend any disrespect toward the victims or families of the victims in the cases we cover. Also, be sure to listen to the end for a few palate cleansing bloopers to reset your mindset. And with that, we thank you for listening and we hope you enjoy. friends. Welcome to Crime Will Tell. I'm Jamie. I'm Carrie. What you sipping on? Um, I'm sipping on bourbon today, as you yes. are with your big old mm-hmm. ice ball. Yep, yep. Cheers to that, girl. Cheers. Clink. Clink. And thanks again, LP, for the sweet mm-hmm. ass rocks glasses. I, I am convinced that drinks taste better out of this glass. Mm. Without a doubt. Yeah. Okay. What else you got? Uh, do you want to do some Brothers Babble? Yeah, always. Okay. So this one is in reference to episode 15. Actually, we have two of them. One is on episode 15 for Core Jones, and the other is episode 16 for Sky Mims. So the, okay. so the first one, episode 15, uh, covering Cora Jones, brother says, quote, listen, step off the Frenchie hate. I played the French horn in fifth grade. And that kind of talk makes me disappointed in you for shame. And no, I don't have red hair, end quote. <laughs> Do you remember when I was like, French horn is like the redheaded stepchild of- Yes. It's like, <laughs> fuck you. I completely forgot that he he absolutely did play the French horn. And it was about as bad as you can picture. <laughs> Sweet. So it was so <laughs> It was so bad. <laughs> It wasn't like, ha ha, because it's French. Yeah, the French horn. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Ooh, that sounded like a dying elephant. It sounded like a fucking bad French horn playing. <laughs> I know I know my sounds. Okay. Okay. Carry on. Okay. <laughs> um, and this last one um, is in reference to episode 16, Recovering Sky Mims. Brother says, y'all's mathy math is off. Super Sky went bonkers at 19. Because I think we were like, wait, how old was she? I think she's 20. He's like, nope, 1993 to 2012. She was 19. Hmm. And I would, but I thought that she had just celebrated her birthday. And that was why she was 20. But my brother is just like, in God, he's just ungodly, just naturally intelligent. And math is a particularly strong suit for him. So if he tells me my mathy math is off, it's off. Okay. So Fair that was Brothers well, Babble you. this time. Yeah. Look, Sky lost her shit somewhere in her late teens. <laughs> we'll we'll just make it general. Precisely 19 years old. It was oh. really funny. Like, goddamn. <laughs> so the story. Are you ready for the actual case? Yeah, let's get into it. This case to me is a little complicated. So I'm going to take us on a little bit of a time travel. We are going back to 1994. Okay. Beautiful year to Kirksville, Missouri or Missouri. Kirksville is a small town that's located in the northeast corner of the state of Missouri. So kind of close to the Iowa and Illinois borders. So like upper left. Upper right. Northeast. (laughs) Jesus Christ. I said in like episode two, I failed geography in high school. Okay. In the right, upper right portion of Missouri is where you can find Kirksville, Missouri. And so the population is is under 18,000, but it's home to two colleges, Truman State University, which, which is a really great liberal arts school and the medical school, A.T. Still University which is actually the world's first school of osteopathic medicine, which is pretty fucking cool. That is cool. That's bragging rights. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So anyway, so the students that attend these colleges make the town feel a little bit bigger than it is Mm -hmm. population wise. And, you know, 
things that are there and whatever. So then I assume the population ebbed and flowed as students were in classes versus during the summer. Right. Yeah. I got it. Okay. So Kirksville's kind of the center of this part of Northeast Missouri, like being the bigger town. It's It serves as kind of the hub for a lot of really tiny neighboring towns. Like okay. it's just, it's a very rural area in general, but Kirksville's kind of where you grocery shop and whatever. So there's all these little tiny towns around it, which just a quick side note, there's like a thousand towns with the name green in them. Tons of little tiny towns with green in the name it's like green top green castle green city all these little oh. green towns that i just picture like somebody who was like i'm so sick of naming towns <laughs> bill what's your favorite fucking color <laughs> and bill's like green's pretty cool i guess and they just started fucking green frenzy green tops up north green bottoms gonna be south if we need to name something I was looking into this and I forgot how many little towns with green in the name. And one of those towns will actually pop back up. But this is the kind of place that you hear about a thousand times in true crime cases. It was quiet. It was safe. People didn't lock their doors. Nothing really mm-hmm, ever mm-hmm. happened there. We've just heard it blah, a thousand times. Well, and it was 1994, too. So that was time. That was the time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I was on my bike where my parents didn't know where I was. For a lot of my childhood. I just wanted us out of the fucking house. Anyway, I wanted to cover this particular case because Kirksville is my hometown. Okay. And in 1994, I was 12 years old. I was just trying to survive the woes of seventh grade and just kind of waiting for my sweet bowl cut to grow out. Um, (laughs) I'm pretty sure I had glasses and braces. I was doing great you were just a young pup yeah but in one night our sweet safe little little pocket of a town was rocked by something that none of us i don't think really thought could happen there and so this case is for all of my fellow crickers if you know you know that's all i'm gonna say oh okay we're gonna go to october 4th of 1994 which was a tuesday Twin brothers, Bert and Derek Smith, and their two friends, Jason Speaks and Blake Privet, were all 15 years old at that time. The Smith twins and Jason Speaks were from Kirksville, and Blake Privet was from Green City, one of the green towns that I mentioned, which is about 25 miles west of Kirksville, so not too far. All four of them had previous run-ins with the law. Bert Smith was on probation for a firearms violation, property damage, and possession of alcohol. His brother Derek also had firearms charges, and Jason had charges for property damage, truancy, and felony tampering for stealing a vehicle. And Blake Privet had dropped out of school, but he was on probation for burglary and theft, and apparently he'd been involved with harassing one of his former teachers and the vandalism of her home. Mm. So at 15, they are living large. Like if there was a nail in it competition, these guys would all have blue ribbons. I mean, certainly blue ribbon for participation, huh? Right. Just hope everybody have fun. So they're just a general fucking nuisance. Mm-hmm. Up to no good. Don't give a shit. I don't really know a lot of details about how the four of these guys knew each other. But they got a raging case of the fuckets, and they decided that they were just going to run away together and go to Canada. Like you do. Wait a minute. I'm still catching up because (laughs) the raging case of the fuckets. That's fantastic. I get that all the time, actually, come to think of it. I have no fucks to give anymore. Yeah, that's why I have short hair. One day I just got a case of the fuckets, and I was like, whatever. (laughs) Cut my hair off. So at 15, they were obviously low on money and good ideas, and they just figured that they could kind of rob people along the way to get money for their trip. Oh, my God. Also, another quick side note. As I mentioned, I was in seventh grade. I needed to try and find my seventh grade yearbook, but at least one of the Smith twins, if not both, were in my school in eighth grade. 
So 15 years old in eighth grade. I'll let you do the math on that. <laughs> but Wait, so so you went to school with them. They were one grade ahead of you. Yeah, at least one of them. I can't remember if, if one of them was or if both of the twins were in eighth grade, but they were 15 in eighth grade. Um, but I highly doubt that these guys were going to be doing any college tours on their way up to Canada. Question, why Canada? I don't know. It didn't say. It just, I think maybe it was the closest country. They didn't know Spanish. So maybe they chose (laughs) Canada. I have no fucking clue. The logic that, you know, a 15 year old truant kid uses is probably something I can't. It's not normal logic is what I'm saying. Right. They ended up stealing a Chevy Blazer that belonged to Blake Privet's father and they just took off for the great north. I mean, this was the days before GPS and cell phones. I think they were just like, we're going north. Let's do it. So they started off with grand larceny. Yeah. Because they're all 15. No licenses. So Jason Speaks brought a 22 caliber rifle. No snacks oh. or anything, but, you know, whatever. You know, like if you're just taken off, you need, an, you need a gun. Oh so God. they made it to Marshalltown, Iowa, which is about 150 miles north of Kirksville. And it's it kind of sits just northeast of Des Moines. And they started to have some some issues with the blazer. Like it started to have some mechanical issues. And Blake's father was a mail carrier, like a rural mm-hmm. that fucking word, rural mail carrier. And so this blazer he used for his mail route and it had flashing yellow lights on the top of it. Okay. So not only did they steal, did Blake steal his dad's vehicle? He stole his dad's vehicle that he used to fucking make money at his job. Right. Okay. So it's it's all around just solid plans. That's a serious dick move. Yeah. Yeah. Jason decided, hey, maybe we could pull some people over. They'll think that we're cops and we can steal <laughs> their vehicle. So that ding-dong plan was set in motion, and because of that, so many lives were forever impacted because of it. Mm. With this great genius plan in mind, they continued driving through Iowa, and their unfortunate victim was 32-year-old Rebecca Jean Hauser. I saw some places that people were saying Hauser, but I'm going to say Hauser because I feel like that was the most common pronunciation Mm -hmm. she was known as becky to her friends and family she was married to her husband dan and was the mother of four children she had two boys josh was 10 kyle was eight and she had twin daughters megan and marcy who were five i believe that they lived on a farm i couldn't like what fucking pisses me off about so many of these cases is that it's hard to get info on the victim sometimes yeah, obscure cases are obscure. All around. Yeah, and this yeah. this case I haven't seen covered other than like local news. So what I got was from old newspapers mm. and information from parole hearings and whatever down the road. But I mean, it was like piecing this together was a little bit tough. So I apologize if some of it seems a little disconnected or not super detailed, but I... I'm giving you guys what I could find. Well, and the thing with newspapers back then is that they just kind of regurgitated the same information. Yeah. Kind of over and over. Yeah. But Rebecca was very active in her church and the community. She taught Sunday school. She stayed home with her kids, was just like loved her kids and was just beloved by the people around Mm -hmm. her. So the night of October 4th, she was on her way home to Union, Iowa, which is kind of like northeast of of Des Moines, after doing some shopping and she visited a casino. I don't know if that was just something that she did commonly, but she stopped at a casino and then was on her way home. <laughs> so she just stopped to drop a couple, plunk a couple quarters in, see if she could win big and then like I mean, home. maybe. I don't know. Okay. She's like, "Look, Christmas is coming up. Hey, hope's it. a strategy, man. 10 bucks, we'll see what happens." <laughs> 
like that attitude, actually. I kind of <laughs> like do? it. Yeah, yeah, I, I mean, do. I'm kind of like, you know what? There's the casino. I pass by the fucking casino every day. I'm going to go in and I'm going to play a few slots, whatever. So what? Worst case scenario, I'm out 10 bucks, but I had fun doing it. I like right? that. So maybe yeah. she had a little case of the fuckets too. Maybe she did, but the right kind of fuckets. A productive case of the fuckets. The boys ended up using the lights on the vehicle to <sighs> pull Rebecca's vehicle over. So did they come up behind her? Yeah, and she, yeah. Yeah, and she pulled off, you know, on the side of the road. Jason speaks. Jason, I guess I'll stop using their last fucking names at this point. Well, Jason, Jason speaks, it's like a fucking active noun or verb. <laughs> yeah. It's a verb. It's like Jason speaks. Okay. Well, what did he say? Bert heard. <laughs> Derek saw. <laughs> Any hoozle. <laughs> Moving on. Okay, so so Jason approached the vehicle after she pulled over and she pretty much immediately asked for identification because I'm sure after watching these teenagers roll out of this car, like, you know, fucking clown car. And I'm sure she immediately knew that something was up and was questioning their authority. Like, well, yeah. And as the older you get, the younger kids look. So by the age of 32, married with kids, like yeah. those 15 year olds probably look like 10 year olds to her. Yeah, plus they're just wearing, like, normal clothes, and I'm sure, like, these peach fuzz face motherfuckers with balls that barely dropped didn't scream law enforcement. You know, you got to be like, what in the fuck (laughs) is happening? And then also the lights on the car are yellow, so I think that they probably got your attention initially, but then you're like, wait, that's not, like, a cop car. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, Mm -hmm. I'm sure there were just a million things going through her poor head. So, unfortunately, this attempted robbery quickly escalated to a brutal fucking murder Mm. they ended up robbing her shooting her beating her with the butt end of a rifle and stabbing her more than 30 fucking times in the chest on the side of the goddamn road yeah just right there a dark rural road in the middle of iowa so was it at night Yes. So that probably pronounced the flashing lights for her. Yeah. So it's like, okay, you're getting pulled over. But then like once you stop and can really kind of like grasp the situation. Yeah, yeah. You're like, wait, what is happening? And who are you clowns? There's a level of vulnerability to you when you're driving at night. There's a cloak of darkness. And so you, mm-hmm. you, you kind of like you, everything looks different at night versus the daytime. Oh, and for sure. So I think there's just... There can be, especially in your if you're in an area where A, you don't know it, you're not familiar with it, or B, something is happening that's unusual and out of place or out of normality that can make you feel a little bit like, ooh, at night versus if the same circumstances happen during the day. For sure. They ended up just driving off and leaving her dead on the side of the road. And not long after the attack, Holy the blazer shit. that they were driving started overheating and ended up breaking down. So they, they called their parents. Like I, I could see this in an article, but I didn't give a lot of detail on who they called, but like they called parents. Yeah. They someone, called someone's one of them parents, called their parents and were like, we're in Iowa. The car broke down and they asked to be picked up. But because they were hours away at this point and it was late at night, whoever they called ended up calling the police in Marshalltown, Iowa the boys are briefly held at the police station and then released. And there aren't really clear details on this. So I assume that maybe they were picked up and just kind of held at the station for their safety until they had a safe place to go. But apparently they ended up spending the night at a motel in Marshalltown. And then someone came and picked them up the next day and took them back to Missouri. Okay. So can we go back to the night before? So they, they broke down. One of them called their parents their parents were like, well, you're fucking hours away. It's night. You're a goddamn turd, but I, I, I'm, you're still my kid. And so I want you to be safe. So I'm going to call the police. So the police go out. This is where it's frustrating when there aren't details in the research, because then I'm like, if I were the cops, I'd be like, wait a minute. So you're 15. Ain't nobody legal to drive. Here you are hours away from home with a car You don't have a legal guardian with you or someone that is able to drive with you. So how did you get here? Mm -hmm. There should have been detainment of some sort. 
Yeah, so I have no clue because I was reading this and I thought the same thing. I'm like, how are and they? Like, where did you not come like, from? Oh, you drove and you're how old? You don't have an ID? Yeah. Mind you, bag. there would be no, nothing for the police to even think or enter their mind that these boys just committed a crime or that they just literally murdered a young woman on the side of the road. Right. Yeah, I don't know. How did they get to the motel? Who did who paid for the motel? Wonder if like a parent paid over the phone. Oh sure, you know, or something along those lines. Somehow, some I th- way, I that about just that sounds too. really janky. Yeah, so I'm not 100 percent sure what the situation was, but they stayed, and then they ended up getting back to their homes in Missouri the next day. So Rebecca's body ended up being found the following morning, which would have been October 5th around 2 30 so she was laying out there for hours yeah so that must have been a very not well-traveled road no it was very rural and yeah it wasn't traveled at that time so so her body was found the following morning by a man who was driving by and when he drove past her vehicle he saw that the window was shattered And so he ended up turning around and stopping. He found her in the driver's seat with her head kind of, you know, just leaning against the side of the car. And it was obvious that she was dead. So he then drove to a nearby house and called police. And later reports would come in that her vehicle had been seen along that road as early as 10 o'clock the night before. So she would have potentially been sitting there for like four or five hours. Investigators in the case had gotten a lead on some people who had been seen in the Marshalltown, Iowa area the night of the murder. And that lead took two detectives to Kirksville, Missouri on Saturday, which the murder was Tuesday night. So this would have been like four days later to interview these teens that had been spotted in Marshalltown. So after the interviews, And evidence collected through search warrants, the teens were arrested, but and but charges were officially brought against them the following day. So the Sunday after the murders and warrants were issued charging all four boys with first degree murder and first degree robbery. First degree robbery. That's interesting. Yeah. Maybe robbery that was committed in the act of a violent crime. Yeah. Not just like, give me your purse, ma'am, and then just run No! Okay. Yeah. So during separate interviews with police, the boys, who were all accompanied by a parent, I don't know, it kept saying mother, so I don't know if they all had their mommies there, but told versions of what happened that night. So they all kind of had their own variations They they weren't even smart enough to, like, get together, come up with a story, and stick to it? Well, if they did... It eventually fell apart. It fucking fell apart, yeah. Yeah, I mean, they're 15. So initially, they all denied their involvement in Rebecca's murder, but admitted to being in Marshalltown that night. Like, they basically knew that they had to come up with a reason why they were there. Because they were at the police station. Yeah, but could deny being murderers. So police gave them breaks, you know, they gave them food and drinks and whatever, and just kind of let them hang out a little bit. And then they ended up interviewing them a second time, but went in reverse order. So like, I think Blake was last to be interviewed the first time, but he went first the second time. And so they just let him sit there and like wait it out. And they all had inconsistencies from their previous interviews and they started making incriminating statements regarding the murder. So police are like, these are our fucking guys. What happened? So eventually, Bert Smith admitted to shooting Rebecca. He fired a shot into her car, which struck her in the back of the head. And then he started stabbing her repeatedly. The medical examiner actually later testified that the gunshot skimmed her brain and likely stunned her, which would have really diminished her ability to to try to run away or fight, but she was still coherent enough to be able to know kind of interact with them. Yeah. yeah. Derek Smith, so Bert's brother told police that he tried to get Bert to stop stabbing Rebecca as she begged for her life. 
He said he even used the butt of the gun to try and push her away from him. Like, so from the side of the vehicle, like, push her. But he couldn't get him to stop stabbing her. Okay, so he's saying, no, no, I used the butt of the gun to, like, get her away from harm. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I call fucking bullshit on that because there's so many other things. He could have just shot Bert in the leg. That'd stop him. Right. He could have butted her... Bert, shirt, furt, whatever the fuck his name is, he could have he could have butted him in the head. Shirt, shirt. <laughs> I'm shirt Smith. Nice to meet you. <laughs> this is my twin pants. <laughs> so Blake said that, like when he was talking to investigators, it kind of seemed like he was the one that was like, "Okay, here's what fucking happened," and like just fucking diarrhea of the mouth yeah so he said that earlier in the night of the murder while he was driving they had pulled over a car as they first kind of got into iowa the driver had gotten out of her vehicle and started walking towards theirs blake said he saw bert start to reach for the rifle and he told him to stop he said not to do anything because he actually knew that woman that she knew his mom it wasn't true, but he oh. didn't want anybody to get hurt. And so he was trying to stop things from happening. So they gave the woman some bullshit excuse and she ended up driving away and probably later realized how goddamn lucky she was to avoid what happened oh to gosh. Rebecca. They also stopped at a random farmhouse because they saw a car that they wanted to try and steal, but a big dog approached them and they got scared. So they ended up leaving the farm. They tried pulling over another car and just, and had discussed like robbing a convenience store, but ended up giving up on these attempts. They just had like all these big ideas of like just fucking chaos, but couldn't follow through. And But Blake did admit that they stole gas and oil for the blazer, which was obviously quickly breaking down, cigarettes and ammunition from stores along the way. So they did, you know, steal some things that he admitted to. But after the failed attempts with Blake driving, Jason ended up taking over behind the wheel. And that's when they ended up pulling over Rebecca. Blake... I don't know. I don't think he wanted to be involved. So he ended up staying in the vehicle and basically watched this whole thing go down. According to him, Jason approached Rebecca's window and shined a light right in her face. When she asked him for identification, he panicked because he worried that she would then be able to identify him. So he told Bert to shoot the bitch. Blake asked him not to shoot her and just to tell her it was a joke. But instead, Bert shot the rifle through the back window of the car, which struck her in the head, and grabbed a knife from a bag that he was carrying. He then kicked out a window on the car and started just stabbing her. Just fucking stabbing her nonstop. Blake could see her trying to push Bert away. And according to him, Derek joined his brother and he started hitting Rebecca with the butt of the rifle. So he may have tried to initially push her away from Bert, but eventually he started actually beating her with the rifle. So one was stabbing her while the other was beating her. One of them shouted that she should give them her purse. And Blake from the their vehicle saw her throw her purse out the window, which Derek picked up. They all got back in the vehicle and drove off after Bert took off his bloody shirt. Jason ended up denying that he told Bert to shoot her. So there's all these conflicting details about exactly what happened that night. But it seemed like because Blake was sitting in the vehicle and basically watched this entire thing unfold when the other three were kind of in the moment. Like, I really kind of trust his version of things because he was able to see the actions of everyone. Mm -hmm. So hearings were eventually held to determine if the teens should be tried as adults at the hearing for Derek, his public defender said that he was really troubled by the murder and was traumatized by events from earlier in his childhood, specifically sexual and physical abuse from their father and stepfathers. Their mother had been married eight 
fucking times. Mm. So they had just a sea of, I'm sure, just total dipshits in and out of their lives over the years. That was constant traumatic instability. Just, yeah, instability, abuse. And the twins ended up becoming wards of the state following the abuse that was reported. At this time, Derek's grade suffered, and he was held back in sixth and seventh grades, mm. which makes sense. Like I said, mm-hmm. they were 15 and eighth grade. And I don't, again, I don't know if it was both boys, but Derek was definitely mm-hmm. in the grade above me. The attorney was giving this information to push for them being tried as juveniles and to emphasize that his client, you know, would be a really strong candidate for rehabilitation just because of his rough childhood and his young age. This troubled upbringing was also used in Bert's defense by his lawyers. So it was said that he was more likely to be influenced by his peers because of his rough childhood. So he did as he was told when Jason told him to shoot Rebecca. Any sense of moral judgment he had would have been faulted. So it was like not his fault that he heard shoot the bitch and he shot her. Mm. I don't know. I need more bourbon. A simultaneously interesting yet extraordinarily scary fact is that impulse control in young people as they're going through puberty and adolescence and growing into young adults, impulse control is basically non-existent Mm -hmm. because the neurons that are firing in the brain and the synapses that are, you know, waking up, they don't wake up until you're like, older, mm-hmm. like your early twenties. Yeah. And so you don't understand, you don't even have the capacity to think about long-term consequences, which if you think about it is astounding that so many of us actually fucking survived gr- growing up because oh, for sure. all you can think about is what's directly in front of you at the time. And you have very little control over your impulses. Mm-hmm throw a healthy dose of testosterone in there and you've got a fucking firecracker waiting to explode. And so when you say, you know, Jason spoke (laughs) and he said, shoot the bitch. And Bert just shot the bitch because you're in the moment. Emotions are high. Shit is crazy. It's just very overstimulating. And there's like little to no impulse control, not an excuse. But when I think about that, you know, I think about all the really great kids. I think about all the people that are older than the age of 25. They somehow made it through. We mm-hmm. all went through the same thing. Now there's varying degrees and all that stuff. But I think about, you know, impulse control. Okay, now layer on top of that a really fucking healthy dose of super traumatic childhood events. You've got every abuse under the sun because if you've got physical and sexual abuse, you've got emotional and mental abuse. Right. And I I couldn't tell if at this time if they were like in foster care or if they were with their mother. But I I mean, I'm sure it, whatever environment they were in, it was one that they wanted to get the fuck out of. Yeah. And absolutely there's neglect. There's absolutely yeah. neglect in all four, all three families because of the twins. I, I, it sounds like I'm excusing them for shooting and killing Rebecca. I'm absolutely not excusing them for that. What's a fucking travesty here is that those kids were failed. They were absolutely failed. Something went wrong. And I mean, and the only history like that was even kind of touched on was the twins. Mm. As far as the abuse that they suffered. I don't know Blake and Jason's histories. Yeah, I'm making an assumption that perhaps maybe the home life wasn't as beaver cleaver as it could have been or should have been. And unfortunately... All four of them were victims, but so was fucking Rebecca. Right. Like at the end of the day, she's the biggest victim here. Okay. Right. I'm and her fa- her family. Yeah. I'll it's just, just like there's sip. so many things about this case that I'm like, oh, mm. I got to tell you, it's crazy because like one reason that I wanted to cover this was I remember in my like clueless 12 year old brain, like I would come home from school, I'd be watching TV and there would be like news clips of these guys that I had seen in the hallways in my school in jumpsuits and to kind of like re like look into this in a totally different mindset as an adult and to really want to know the details is just kind of a strange thing 
experiencing that when you're 12 versus experiencing that, seeing that when you're 40 something is different. Yeah. When you were researching this and writing this storyboard, were you like, was it like bringing up memories and emotions that you hadn't thought about in a while? I think just reading about juvenile crimes in general that make me go, damn, there were a lot of times that I was in situations that I was kind of like peer pressured into and I just went along with it that could have gone completely south. I think any of us probably could have been easily been involved in something really nefarious just because we wanted to fit in or we just happened to be somewhere that we couldn't get away from it. So I just was trying to kind of like put myself in their place. And I mean, I, I can't, I didn't have eight stepfathers that abused me, you know, like I, it's hard to know where these guys were. It is. But you bring up a really good point. You didn't have eight stepfathers that abused you. You yeah. had a stable home life. We, we, Hey, we are all dysfunctional, right? We all mm-hmm. have dysfunctional families that dysfunctional is normal. Like it is what it is, but there are varying degrees of dysfunction. You didn't have that kind of dysfunction growing up. And so, and even, even then you found yourself in compromising situations where you're like, well, I'm just going to do this because like, I mean, I don't, I want to fit in. I want to be part of the crowd. I absolutely made horrible decisions. So it's weird to think that like in the midst of my own little, like Jamie bubble, I had no concept of what like my classmates might be dealing with. Yeah. And yeah, you're exactly right. Meanwhile, we've got Jason and Bert and Derek and Blake over here committing the worst crime you could ever commit. Right. And just having a home life that I could never fathom. As much as I thought that my little world was crumbling, I could never imagine what Mm -hmm. their home life was probably like. Thankfully. But anyway, so as all the all of these hearings and things were going on, there was just a lot of like finger pointing and I was only involved with this portion of the crime mm. and, you know, things like that going on. Jason argued that he was only involved in the shooting of Rebecca since he brought the gun and told Bert to shoot her, but that the gunshot didn't kill her. So he's like, I shouldn't be tried for murder because the gunshot didn't kill her. But that was just pure fucking luck. Like yeah. the... She the was shot in, was there. Yep. Yeah. She was shot in the right. head. You brought How about attempted murder, you dick? Yeah, you brought the gun. It was loaded. It was ready to go. Yeah. Like why didn't you bring like fucking popcorn <laughs> and goddamn corn nuts and fucking gummy bears? Why'd you bring a goddamn rifle? Cuz you can't rob people with corn nuts. So their every intention was to <laughs> cause mischief and mayhem. Yeah, exactly. Like they knew also, that they were. You can't go on a car trip without corn nuts. I know, but they're really easy to choke on, so you got to be careful. <laughs> that and celery, you got to be real careful. Really? <sighs> I just had you a bunch never... of. <laughs> you don't ever get a string go down your throat. <laughs> I haven't had that. I haven't had that struggle. No. I have a hard time with celery. Okay, so the shot could have easily killed her, but yeah. So I, I don't know. So there was just a lot of like, but, but I didn't do the worst part, you know, just like this bullshit, like, but they did this kind of thing going on. So Blake ended up pleading guilty to first degree robbery and second degree murder. He was actually Blake, given a lighter. The one that was sitting in the car. Yeah. Second degree. Well, I guess guilt by association. Yeah. Okay. Unfortunately, yeah. So he was given a lighter sentence because he agreed to testify against the other three teens. It also meant that he would avoid a mandatory life sentence that came with a first-degree murder charge. Okay. So after their trials, Bert and Derek Smith and Jason Speaks were all found guilty of first-degree murder, and they were sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. Okay, so they were tried as adults. Yes. However, in 2012, the U.S. Supreme Court banned mandatory life without parole sentences Mm -hmm. given to killers who were juveniles when they committed murder. So this decision was partially based on 
like scientific evidence that children's brains are still developing through their teenage years, which is true. And that means that they often lack impulse control and maturity. Okay. So, yeah. There we but go. But that, that was the main basis for sure. that ruling. So based on that controversial ruling by the U.S. Supreme Court, the Iowa Supreme Court decided that all life without parole sentences given to juvenile killers in the state would be removed. And any decisions about the now possible release of these killers from the prisons would be solely up to the Iowa board of parole. So it was like up to them now to decide what to do with these juveniles that were given life. No pressure. Yeah. So the Smith twins and Jason were resentenced in 2016 to life in prison with the possibility of parole. And the parole board's decision would then be based on their behavior while they were in prison instead of the crimes that they committed as juveniles. This is multifaceted because not only is it about the fact that the brain isn't fully developed and there's impulse control, what's the word, inadequacies and all that stuff, but it's also about the idea of reformation, which we've touched Mm -hmm. on in the past in whether or not... Okay. This hits a lot of things. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. So because of this this decision, Jason Speaks was granted work release in 2020. So he is serving that in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. I was born in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. I know. Blake Privet was granted parole in 2017. He lives in... In Fairfield, Iowa, which is my dad lived there at one point, at a community-based corrections facility, and he is set to be fully released in 2029. So his sentence will be completely done in 2029. Okay. So despite repeated objections from the Hauser family, Derek Smith was the last to be released in December of 2023. So this just fucking happened. Wait, Derek Smith was the last to be released? Bert's the one that fucking killed her and stabbed her and... I know. I don't know what the hiccup was with his parole, but he was denied parole in September of 2023 when his brother Bert was released. So Bert was released September of last year and Derek was released like three months later. He appealed the parole board's decision and he was granted work release in November. And so he was eventually like officially released from prison in December. So they are now in work release programs too. Okay. When Bert, the actual murderer, was released in September, he and his wife, Aaron. <laughs> Seriously? Another one? Yeah. Yep. So he, I couldn't find any details on that, Sitch, but he obviously. Had a magical wedding at a prison. You know what's interesting is that when people are incarcerated, they lose their right to vote. Mm -hmm. Yet, they can get married and some of them can have conjugal visits, which could lead to procreation. Yeah. And as a gay person who's scared that her rights to get married are going to be overturned, it pisses me off that fucking killers can get married in prison. Same girl. Ugh. Anyway, Bert and his wife, Erin, lucky gal, issued the following statement when he was released from prison. They said, we understand the release has reopened old wounds. Out of respect for the Hauser family, we have to limit our words and only say we don't want to further pain for anyone including our family, who is also affected by this. We are grateful for the second chance that has been given and don't go a day without thinking about Rebecca, which I'm sure didn't mean a goddamn thing to Rebecca's family. So, of course, this has all been incredibly hard for Rebecca's family and friends, not only due to her brutal murder, but then with the court's rulings that led to, you know, these guys being resentenced and eventually released from prison, that's got to be super tough. So Rebecca's son, Josh, was 10 years old when she was killed. 
like five five years younger than the guys that killed her which is just kind of wow that really puts it into perspective yeah and but he was such a baby he was so young but he was only five years younger than these guys like i like just so many levels of this case so in response to the smith brothers getting released from prison he stated i feel like the roles of victim have been reversed at least in the public's eye maybe now we're being treated as secondary and it feels like the guys that did that did that to my mother are being more victimized now than we are which i totally understand he also said that it's unfair that his mother's killers will likely get to live in society longer than his mother did. Yes. I hear him. I hear him. So at the resentencing hearing, Josh and other family members spoke against the release of Rebecca's killers and gave victim impact statements. The Smith twins and Jason were all in the courtroom to hear the statements. And after the resentencing, they actually apologized to the Hauser family and expressed regrets for their, you know, the violent actions that they committed against their beloved Becky. So they did show a lot of remorse towards the family, like during that hearing. That's good. That's good. Yeah. Josh, her oldest son, has struggled with depression and anxiety, nightmares, panic attacks. I mean, of course, all related to his mother's death. And then, of course, the resentencing that happened and now the parole of these four guys that killed his mother. But one thing that I thought was really cool was that he and his wife wanted to do something to help them cope. And so they created Becky baskets in honor of his mother. And basically they created these baskets that were given to kids who were dealing with tragedies. They included journals sketch pads with crayons tissues and stuffed bunnies oh my god i love this yeah and so these becky bunnies as they called them were included because when josh and his brother would visit their mother at the cemetery there would always be bunnies near her gravesite yeah and so josh hoped that these baskets would help to comfort other kids who were affected by tragedies and hopefully get them to kind of open up and be able to discuss their feelings and emotions and to get them the help that they needed. I really like that. And so, like I said, this one was, it it just brings up a lot of situations, like you said about the reform and the thoughts on juveniles being charged with life sentences, which obviously the Supreme court overruled. But I think that this case also brings up the issue of not only does like the sentence fit the crime, but does the sentence fit the involvement with the crime? Hmm. Like in this case, Bert shot her. He was the one who actually stabbed her. He was the one who killed her. He was responsible for her death solely. Like, his brother contributed in beating her, but Bert was the actual murderer. And Blake was uncomfortable the entire time, according to his report on things. He was in the vehicle. Like, he really was just like, I don't want any part of this. And and truly, I kind of look at him and go, okay, you knew you were running away. You knew you were stealing a vehicle. You knew there was going to be a gun. And that robbery was going to be the main mode of funding for your trip to Canada. So you knew that this was going to be kind of a shit show. But I don't think that his brain, like that murder, was going to be an option. And I think about him sitting in that car watching this go down on the side of a dark rural road where his friends had weapons. And he's watching them murder a stranger. He had nowhere to run. Like, I'm sure he was scared to death that these guys would turn on him and potentially kill him. And so then when I look at the sentencings, when I look at the order of how they were were released, Bert had the biggest role in Rebecca's murder. He did. And Blake kind of had the least involvement. Well, and if they were all in different prisons, they reported to different parole boards 
now you've got massive variability. And what are the laws that they have to follow and how much discretion do they have? You, Every single person on the parole board, they come to their position with their own lens, their own life mm-hmm. story, their own experiences. And so you've got biases, whether you like it or not. And we all have many biases. That's just the fact of life. That's the human right. condition. And so now you've got variability. And when you've got variability, you have subjectivity. And when you have subjectivity, you don't have standardized fairness. Because is there really such a thing as standardized fairness? I don't know. I don't think there is, but whatever. It's just, there's, yeah, there's so many things about this case that I'm like, oh, man. This case left me with a high level of discomfort. Like, I was just very uncomfortable, like, in my feelings about this case. Yeah. I do love the fact that Rebecca's son and his wife really like keep her memory alive and respect it and honor it. And he's like, he's like doing everything he can to honor his mother's memory. And, I like that. And to yeah. help other kids that have dealt with tragedies. And I think that that's just really awesome. So Josh, thank well you. Well done, Josh. Yeah. Keep it up. Thank you for listening, Carrie. And Always. to everyone else, we love you guys. So we appreciate much. You. We feel it too. Yeah, yeah. We've got been getting a lot of really good feedback, and I dig it. Yeah. But we appreciate you guys for listening, and we love that you're sharing it with friends yeah. and family and coworkers and whatever, and that it's just kind of starting to to build and launch, and we're, yeah. we're loving it. So we appreciate you guys. Anyway, thank you with all that. Goodbye, Carrie. Goodbye, Jamie. I'm going to make a doll out of your hair. Oh, my God. Her name's Denise, and she sleeps under my pillow. (laughs) So creeped out. (laughs) You don't want a hair doll? Oh, no. I don't like that one bit. No. I want to show you before I mushed it. Oh, my God. Is it Big Tits McGee? Yep. If they all met and had sex, what? There's gotta be some fun. What else should we do? Nothing. Oh, that's a really good idea. I'm gonna do that too. And I'm gonna go potty. That's awesome because I think I have an episode about as long as a drawn out fart. The fuck? That was great. <laughs> <laughs>